0: Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Annick Castle podcast. I'm your host Daniel Watkins, and on today's episode we're going back in time even further than the beginnings of Annick Castle, as we're traveling a little bit south to Hadrian's Wall. Annick Castle has been a major part of life in the northeast for over 900 years, but the wall has been around for twice that length of time. As part of the events marking the 1900th anniversary of the wall, Chester's Roman Fort near Hexham in Northumberland has a new exhibition, Hadrian's Wall 1900, Souvenirs from the Wall. I'll be speaking to the curator of that exhibition, Francis McIntosh, about the history of Hadrian's Wall, its significance to the northeast, and a very special item from the Annick Castle collection, which has been loaned to Chester's for this new exhibition. Whether you're interested in the history of Roman Britain or not, Francis has some fascinating insights into these amazing items, how they were made, and what they represent within the context of the wider Roman world. Here is our conversation, and I hope you enjoy it. I am very happy to be joined on this episode of the Annette Castle podcast by the curator of the Hadrian's Wall 1900 Souvenirs from the Wall Exhibition, English Heritage's Collections Curator for Hadrian's Wall and the North East, Frances McIntosh. How are you?
1: I'm good, thanks. Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you for being here. So you can hopefully tell us, first of all, a little bit about the Souvenirs from the Wall Exhibition and how it's helping to mark this huge anniversary for Hadrian's Wall.
1: Yep. so the souvenirs exhibition is a small exhibition that we're hosting at chester's roman fort in the museum there and it's to highlight some really quite amazing roman objects that a lot of people don't know about they are the first souvenirs from roman britain they're little small copper alloy cups with enamel on which name forts from hadrian's wall and we're going to be displaying there's three of them in existence we're going to be displaying one original and one replica along with a couple of other related cups. And that's one case. And then the other case, we're going to have objects that we've borrowed from members of the public or found in our archive that are more recent souvenirs to kind of bring those two together. And Hadrian's Wall 1900, the celebrations of 1900 years since the construction of Hadrian's Wall is all about celebrating the wall, but also about the people who've lived here, worked, visited in the last 2,000 years. And so we thought, let's not just have Roman archaeology on this way. Let's try and bring you know bridge that gap of time and say you know the romans did take souvenirs or buy souvenirs when they visited you know um it's not a modern invention to have a souvenir from a trip or um you know even from somewhere that you've
0: lived i was going to say tourism and souvenirs people have been visiting and buying things for as long as hadrian's walls been there so these souvenirs go all the way back to the beginnings of the wall
1: that's right so we think that they date to kind of the mid-second century and um, there is debate as you can imagine, there's always academic debate about quite when they are whether they're from you know the early days of the wall or, or after they've got up to the Antinone wall and come back but most people agree at least second century so not into the third or fourth so in that earlier period of Hayden's war being um, constructed and occupied
0: this is the anet castle podcast so the reason we're speaking is that one of these items that you've got displayed in the exhibition has been loaned from anet castle where we can normally see it in the poston tower museum can you tell me a little bit about the rudge cup
1: yeah so the rudge cup it's uh, one of these small copper alloy enamelled um cups or patera depending on uh, or trulla or pan you know there's all sorts of different names and get into the terminology later like i say, dating the second century and it's quite small. People, I think, are often surprised because they see a picture of it and it's so beautiful. But it's at the top, it's 90 millimetres in diameter and at the bottom, it's just under 60 and it's just under five centimetres high. So it's really quite little. It's got beautiful decoration that's all been cast in. And the decoration, when you first look at it, you look, it looks like the wall of a castle. So it's got crenellations, you know, the, the bits that people uh, you know hide behind when they're shooting arrows at each other on a castle wall. It's made up within a pattern of squares. Then in between the crinolations, there's beautiful kind of crescent shapes. And the whole of the, all these kind of inset spaces would have been filled with enamel. So it would have looked really, really beautiful. Because copper alloy, when it's first made, is really shiny. It's kind of like our 2P pieces, our 1 and 2P pieces now. We see copper alloy in museums, and it's either greeny or browny. The rudge cups got kind of, you know, uh, aged into a brown. But it would have been so beautiful and bright with the, the red, the blue, the green enamel, and then this real shiny kind of bronze colour of the metal.
0: And this is one of the items that was taken from the wall to somewhere else by a Roman, presumably?
1: Yeah, so it was found, it's called the Rudge Cup, because it was found in a well close to what we think was a Roman villa at the Rudge Coppice, um, which is near Froxfield in Wiltshire. And through various kind of marriages and things, it's ended up in the family of the... Duke's North London, which is why it's in the collection there and so presumably it's a soldier or a high-ranking official who's been stationed up on the wall or even maybe just visited and wanted to have a, a memory of Hadrian's Wall so it's not just the decoration that makes us know that it's a souvenir from Hadrian's Wall it's the writing on the top of it which is really what got people excited and so this cup the, all the decoration was cast in one so the decoration the line of the writing is around the top and it lists five names of forts on Hadrian's wall. So it this and I apologize in advance for my Latin pronunciation, but it lists Maius, M-A-I-S, which is Bowness on Solway, Abalava, which is Bruff by Sands, Uxodunum, which is Stanix, Camberglans, which is Castlesteads, and Banner, which is Bird Oswald, so It goes from west to east. So Presumably it's somebody who's stationed in that section of the wall. You know, if you were stationed in the east near, I don't know, Walls End, Newcastle, uh, Chester's, then you'd you'd get a cup with those names on. But this one, um, it's got the Western forts on.
0: So it's a significant item really for the wall, N- naming all these forts with the decoration on it. It's something that would have been quite prized even at the time, probably.
1: Absolutely. This would be a big investment. It's especially a commission piece, we imagine, because it's going to cost quite a lot of money to purchase it's a level of craftsmanship to create a mold with that sort of you know intricate detail and then to enamel it afterwards you need to know the names of the forts um you know so you need to have a level of literacy as a crafts person. so we imagine it's probably a specific commission you're not going to make these and then just hope someone buys it it's not the sort of off-the-shelf thing you know that a lot of people will buy this would be an expensive purchase so going to be a high-ranking person who's bought this because you need um, a fair bit of money to yeah purchase something like this but that makes sense really because the commanding officers of the forts would send to serve between three and five years and then move on it's all part of the kind of career path of the upper classes that they would you know they needed to uh, serve as military officers etc so you know someone who's served three or five years wants a memento of that their time and then you know, it was something that they could buy. Because and also, you know, it's very portable, isn't it? It it's is. small enough yeah. to carry away your baggage.
0: So we don't think it would have been used. It was probably made as a souvenir.
1: That's another huge debate, as well as whether we call it a cup, a truller, a patera, etc. What it was used for. So there's three of these cups known. The Rudge Cup, the one we're talking about, the Island Pan, also known as the Staffordshire Mullen Pan, and the Amiens patera, And all three of them... Possibly had handles. The patch is the only one where the handle still exists, but the other two—yours, the Rudge and the Amienpater—look as though they used to have a handle from kind of damage and things. So they're part of a big group of kind of deep bold vessels that have handles. The much bigger ones uh, and plainer ones are kind of a nest tin, so a standard-issue soldier kind of piece of kit. But um, the smaller ones—it's not these three souvenir cups fit into. Group of other just decorated cups or you know, handled vessels, whatever you want to call them, of this size that are decorated. And there is evidence that they are used because they're often found with quite a lot of wear or with the handle broken off or repairs and things. Whether the Rudge cup itself was used, we don't know, and we also don't really know exactly what they were used for. Some writers say, Oh, they wouldn't be used for drinking out of because they're too small, but this sort of size group they hold about 160 millilitres so that's kind of an average wine glass isn't it really you know i know we don't have we have a 125 or 175 they're kind of the measures in a pub aren't they so that's definitely an option and they're often found with wine strainers so wine in the Roman period was often mixed with spices and honey and other things you'd strain it to get all the. cup in that uh, before you drank it um so the fact that these pans are found with the wine strainers adds more weight to that but you also see pit and depictions of them being used in religious services, so kind of used to pour wine or water either on an altar or as another, sac, you know, another offering in a religious ceremony. So there's multiple uses. So whether or not the rudge cup was made just to go and sit on someone's, you know, mantelpiece or the equivalent, it's almost impossible to know um, because also, although you say, oh, they're often found with the handle broken off, that's probably indicative of wear. That's also just the weakest point. It probably doesn't take that much for it to, you know, get broken off.
0: And these are items that are nearly 2,000 years old.
1: Well, exactly, yeah.
0: And so let's get on to the terminology. <laughs> is there much of a difference between a cup, a patra, a truller? What makes one one and another another? So
1: the naming of the three ones is a complete modern thing. So when the Rudge Cup was found, which was in the 1720s, they decided it was cups. So they call it the Rudge Cup. The Amien Patra was found in the 1940s and in France they decided that's what it's called so it's called its modern name is the Amiens patra. The Staffordshire Mourns pan it was kind of given the pan name because that's a bit more generic um, and Ralph Jackson who was the British Museum at the time kind of was writing when he was writing up the island pan says probably the best word to use for them all are what the Romans might have called them it might be a patra which is a handled kind of deep bold uh, vessel but the romans also used the word truller and we don't know exactly what that was some antiquarians in the 18th and 19th century called these sorts of vessels skillets but that's not a relevant word because skillet is tends to be a pan that you cook on and these were never used for that sort of thing so yeah so the three souvenir cups or vessels or pans their names are completely just of their time and that's what they were given but now everyone knows it as the Rudge Cup or the and Patra. So you can't call it the Rudge Pan because everyone say, well, what's that? It's known as the Rudge Cup, but it doesn't mean anything in terms of, just because all three of them are called different things, doesn't mean they were used for different purposes, or the Romans saw them as different things. They're just, it's a kind of, it's a terminological pickle, really, you know, because we don't really know what the Romans called them. And also, we always don't necessarily know exactly what they were used for, so we can't even use that as their name. So... Ralph Jackson, he says kind of, he thinks pan is a bit, is more of a general neutral term. But like I say, we can't rename the Rudge Pan because too many people know it as a Rudge cup.
0: (laughs) And the first part of the name, Rudge, Amiens, places like that, that's where they were found rather than where they were made or where they originated. They all originated from Hadrian's Wall area.
1: Yeah, they all originated from Hadrian's Wall. So the Amiens patch is the one that got the furthest. It's in uh, France rudge cup was down in wiltshire and then the staffordshire Mullins Pound was found in the parish of ireland which is in the staffordshire area and um, so they've all traveled whether that's the only place that they traveled or they traveled around before they got buried in those spots you know who knows but for example the rudge cup being found in a well alongside a supposed roman villa it's not been exposed, so we don't know but that would make sense because it's going to be a, a richish at least person who's purchased it you know you've got to be pretty wealthy to have a villa um so if it was a part of their, you know, their possessions, it makes sense that it's um, outside a villa. But we know quite some of these would have had long lives and been kind of looked after and kept or, you know, curated. So there's um, another object that we're borrowing from Tully House Museum, which is the broom patterer. So again, someone just called it a different name. Um, and this isn't a Hadrian's Wall souvenir one. It's just another beautifully decorated cup of the same form. And I wanted to borrow it to show how, it's like our souvenirs today. Everyone's got teacups in their house. Some of them you've bought from the supermarket. Some of them you've bought from, you know, a nice shop. And some of them you bought from on holiday. And it will say, you know, I visited Hadrian's Wall or I visited Corfu. That's kind of what these souvenir cups are from Hadrian's Wall. They're not a whole new type of object. The Romans knew exactly what they were. They've just added the souvenir part onto it. Um, so the broom patera was at least a hundred years old before it was buried, and it was buried in a cremation burial in the cemetery outside Broome Roman Fort. So it could be that, you know, the Rudge Cup had been kept hold of for a long time before it was buried, even if it's a a treasured um, kind of memory of somewhere that your family member, you know, served or enjoyed their time. So that's, that's one of the reasons that dating of them is tricky, partly because not a lot of them have been found in very good context places, but partly because we know they probably would have been kept hold of and treasured
0: yeah because you you were saying that someone would spend three to five years at the wall so there's a lot of chance for these items to go to all kinds of different places and have all kinds of lives afterwards they probably just didn't stay in one place
1: yeah exactly so you know the officers if they're of the real high kind of senatorial class or that's sort all of equestrian class and they have to go around and do different jobs it's on it's kind of the the curses honorum, it's called you know the public kind of like they're aiming to become you know senators and so they've got to you know serve as a military officer they'll have a kind of a civic um time well some of them wouldn't have been following that route but they'd just serve for a while and then go and do something else so yeah probably the people who bought them that's why they have ended up in different places because they didn't serve their whole career on the wall
0: and that means that we can't just take these as items on their own they're part of a wider roman setting and a Wider context about not just Hadrian's Wall but the whole period in history. What can these items tell us about things like the craftsmanship that went into it and how Hadrian's Wall was considered in the Roman Empire?
1: Well, I think in terms of craftsmanship, they're just, you know, they're absolutely beautiful and real evidence of skill because to create those pieces would have, you know, required a lot of skill in order to make the mould to create you know, the piece and then to enamel it. Like I say, you've got to have some form of literacy because you've got to spell the, the faults right or at least close enough that you're going to recognise them. Most of the faults are spelled slightly differently on all of the cups, but that's not unusual. We get multiple spellings of all sorts of things on stone inscriptions and sculpture. It shows that there's got to be then a setting which is big enough and an economy which is big enough to support a craftsperson of that skill and enough of a market to keep them there. No one's really certain, but they tend to agree that the cuts were probably made in Carlisle because that's the biggest place in the western section of the wall that would have been able to support that sort of craft person. It's very rare to find um, good evidence of metalworking and less so of metalworking, but particularly enameling and glassworking because both those materials, actually enamel and metal, can be melted back down if something goes wrong. So you don't often find great evidence. So you will tend to find either the, um, the moulds or some of the tools to give you a clue that something was being made there. And there's a site near Leeds called Castleford where they found moulds <laughs> uh, for enameled vessels, a different type to these that we're talking about. But that's really rare to find that level of evidence because the Romans were very good at recycling. Um, so if a craftsperson had made a, you know, would cut version two and it'd gone wrong. They'd just melt the metal back down and go again. So we haven't found, you know, the workshop or any moulds or anything like that in Carlisle. But if you think about the craftsperson that would be required and the level of market economy that you need to support someone like that, Carlisle's a sensible place.
0: So there's a suggestion that these items are version one and version only. Were they probably unique or might there have been more at one time?
1: I mean, there might be more of them. My understanding is they're probably made in a one-use mould because of the complexity of things. They might not have been, you know, we, we've not found those moulds, so maybe they could be. But I imagine they're, you know, specific commissions. There's not going to be a huge market for them. Although we've found three, so that's quite a lot. But, for instance, the Island pan or the Staffordshire Morns pan, that's different to the Rudcup Cup because it's different decoration but the Rudge Cup has the decoration and the inscription cast in as part of the original design. Whereas the Island Pant, the decoration is much more kind of Celtic in style and it's uh, eight roundels filled with uh, kind of, they call them comma shapes, much more kind of floral and flowing. But then the inscription at the top is carved into the metal afterwards. So that could have been an enamelled cup that somebody's made as a generic enamelled cup and then someone's come along and said, I'd Quite like to put the names of the fort on there. So that one's not initially made as a souvenir from Hadrian's Wall, but there are other pans that have also used that top band to put an inscription on, unrelated to Hadrian's Wall. So that's quite nice because it shows the link between kind of these beautiful pans and then these, you know, extra special ones that are the Hadrian's Wall souvenirs ones. But uh, yeah, so the Amiens Patera and the Rudge Cup are very similar in decoration, but the Amiens Patera has six fort names on so it's definitely a different mold even if a craftsperson's making multiple ones if they're having to create a new mold they're always going to be slightly different aren't they? even if it did work to the same you know, pattern every time
0: speaking of work and levels of work you've put a huge amount of work into preparing these items for the exhibition and getting them ready for this big anniversary what have you found most fascinating about the process of gathering these items together and finding out more about them
1: so as a you know a Roman archaeologist and someone who works in Hagen's Wall, I've always known about the cups and the souvenir pans, but actually you know getting down to the nitty gritty of oh so those are the same decoration, but it's different in this way, or you know this is the fine spot and that maybe affects what we might like, know about them. It's the fact that people have studied them for quite a long time, and there's a book in 2009 when um, there was an exhibition at Trulley House about them, and I've been looking through and actually there's still quite a lot we don't know, and I quite like that. And I'm also quite, if I ever put on an exhibition, I was quite honest about what we don't know. I think people like that. They don't want to be kind of told a fudge or you just pretend you know everything. I think it's quite good to say, well, these are things we know. This is the evidence. And here's some suggestions of what it it might be. So we're going to be quite honest and say, we don't know what they were used for or who bought them. But here are some you know, sensible suggestions. And I just think they're just really beautiful objects. And that's why, so... I've got the rudge cup and I have a replica, you know, a beautiful replica of the Saturday pan, but then I'm also borrowing the broom Pattera and then the Winterton pan, which is a North Lincolnshire that's never been, that one's never been out of North Lincolnshire because I wanted to put them in their wider context like we've been talking about of these small, deep little cups with handles or not with handles and, um, and show how it's just part of a wider kind of setting of some really beautiful crafts work that was available in Roman Britain and, you could get it in different styles, you could personalize it, so you could add the names of the forts if you wanted to or or you you know you buy it with swirls on instead of um connellations and I think they show yeah that individualization that could be added
0: to just finish off with a big question, what does working on Hadrian's wall mean to you, especially in big anniversary years like this, and what what does the wall mean to the northeast as a region as a landmark
1: so for me personally. I think what I love about it is it's just constantly fascinating. You can never know everything, even in you next an expert on Hayden's Wall. And there's always new things to discover, uh, whether that's new excavations or just looking through the boxes in stores and archives and talking to different people. And I'm really lucky. My office is at the end of the museum at Corbridge, and I can hear people kind of reading the panels and labels and, you know, just watching them or hearing them being so astonished that this beautiful object was made 2,000 years ago or understanding a bit of latin because of the way we've you know described the inscription i just, it just never gets old the fact that we can help people understand life here through either the sites or the you know for me it's the, always the objects i like the best um and i think for the northeast hadrian's wall's just always been there hasn't it you know it's a silly thing to say but you know for you nearly know, you know for 1900 years it has been there and it's meant different things to different people all the way through hasn't it in the sixteenth, seventeenth, eighteenth century, it was just a place to get stone to build your houses. From the nineteenth century, it started to become a real source of fascination for archaeologists and antiquarians, and then tourism built. And you know now it's a huge, you know, kind of economic, you know, boom to the area. And you talk to people who are so proud that they live near Hadrian's Wall, and find that you know they're kind of like, yeah, we live near Hadrian's Wall, so. It's just been that yeah, constant for such a long time, but has changed its meaning depending on who you are or what time you live in.
0: It's a big part of what makes this part of the country somewhere that people all around the world want to come and see.
1: Well, exactly. Well, you know, it's a World Heritage Site and that gives it, rightly, it gives it a bit of kudos, but it also often puts it on people's list, don't not they, Because you do have visitors who come because it's a World Heritage Site, because they realise that specialness that is inferred by the fact that it's on the list. So, yeah, it's great to have it recognised like that.
0: So if people want to put it on their list uh, to come and see this exhibition and see these cups or pans or patras <laughs> together all in one place, which is something that won't happen very often at all, uh, when can they come and see the exhibition?
1: So they can come from the 1st of September until the 30th of October at Chester's Rim and Fort and Museum, just outside of Hexham.
0: Excellent. Uh, Francis McIntosh, thank you very much for joining us today and good luck with the exhibition. Thank you. As Francis mentioned, the Rudge Cup will be on display as part of the exhibition at Chester's Roman Fort this autumn. If you'd like to see the cup back at Annick Castle, just visit the Poston Tower Museum of Antiquities and Archaeological Finds from the beginning of our 2023 season. If you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast, please do let us know by emailing podcast at annickcastle.com or tweeting us at Annick Castle. Share it with your friends and recommend it to anyone you think might be interested, and if you can leave us a rating or review, that would be much appreciated. We'll be back with another episode in two weeks' time, but until then, I've been Daniel, thank you very much for listening, and goodbye.